Good evening and uh, welcome to our Bible study. Uh, This evening we're going to have a look at Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 and I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 7. So if you have your Bibles handy, uh, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, starting to read at verse 1. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. Your joy before you as people rejoice at the harvest as men rejoice. When dividing the plunder... For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and they will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and the peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, from that time and for ever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, God will have his blessings to that reading, and before we gather around it together, let's just pray together. Well, Father, we thank you again for this privilege we have to be able to meet together, even in this way, when we're separated by distance, but we are together and we are one in you. And our Father, we thank you for this Christmas time, and as we approach it, we ask that you will keep our hearts and our minds focused on the real meaning. And our Father, we gather now around this prophecy, these words of Isaiah, and our desire is that we will have a greater understanding of these words, and that will give us a greater appreciation of this wonderful gift of Christmas, the gift of your Son. Our Father, we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Right, let's start with a, qu- a question. When did you start preparing for Christmas? Well, don't answer that. But think about this other question. When did God start preparing for Christmas? You see, for God, the preparation began, and we read about the preparation way back in Genesis, and this is the time when Adam sinned. And then we come through to Genesis chapter 11, in verse 31, we read about part of that preparation, because part of it was that God called Abraham to follow him. In Genesis 17, we see how God changed his name from Abraham to Abraham. His descendants became the nation of Israel. Out of that nation, God chose one tribe, the tribe of Judah. And out of Judah, he chose David. And out of the line of David, Jesus was born. You see, Adam sinned. Then a man was chosen who would become a nation. Out of that nation, another man would be born. 
that one is Jesus. And when he came, he would also be known as the second Adam. Paul reminds us of this as he speaks of the one who is the gift of Christmas. We find this in a very well-known passage, Romans chapter 5. And I just want to walk through this passage with one or two comments. You see, verse 12 through to 17. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, So what we have here, this is the reason for the season. This is the reason for Christmas. It is the remedy for sin. Paul goes on in that same chapter 5. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. This is the certainty of the need for Christmas, the problem of sin. Then Paul goes on, nevertheless... That's a good word there, isn't it? Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who didn't sin by breaking command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. You see, there was no written law for Adam, but that didn't mean he didn't sin. He still sinned. And because of that sin, death reigned. Paul goes on in chapter 5. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? You see, the gift of Christmas is Jesus, the one who would be known as the second Adam. And then still in Romans chapter 5, this is verse 16 now. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So what we have here, what Paul's saying is, this is speaking of the greatness of the gift, the gift of the second Adam who is Jesus, the gift that will bring redemption, unlike the first Adam who brought condemnation to the human race and finally in that little chapter uh, chapter 5 of Romans for if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ so there we have it the gift the gift that can bring righteousness to sinful man. You know, John in his gospel reminds us of this as well. You might say, well, John doesn't tell the Christmas story. John does. John still speaks of the Christmas story. He goes way further back. He goes way back to the beginning. And this is what we read in in John 1 verse 1 through to 5. And we know these words very well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Just bear those words in mind of John. And that life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, this time of year, we quite rightly turn to the Old Testament prophets, and we quite rightly quote the relevant verses that speak of the Christmas story. But I want, what I want us to do is just spend a little bit of time and let us see a little bit of the context of these prophetic verses. And I want us to imagine how important they are. They're important to us, and we see that importance. But their importance was not just to us. It was also to the original hearers of the prophet's words. And the prophet's words are the words of God for God's people. That's why they come down to us today. They are still the words of God for us as God's people. So I want us to look at part of Isaiah's Christmas story. That's why uh, we read from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through to 7. And I've titled this, The Plan of Redemption and the Promised Redeemer. You see, everything that is happening in the time of Isaiah is happening to protect and preserve the preparations that God has made for this gift to be delivered, this gift of Christmas. And with this in mind, we need to remind ourselves that the warnings given to us in our day by Paul, as he writes in Ephesians, is not just for us. It is a warning about a battle that started when Adam, Adam sinned, a battle that will continue till Jesus returns, and a battle that is being fought here in the days of Isaiah, and a battle that continues on in our day. The verse I'm referring to is found in Ephesians chapter 6, and it's verse 12. Again, it's another verse we quote very often. For the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this truth that Paul brings to us, it is not an exclusive truth to us in our day. The goal of the enemy is to hamper God's rescue plan. And the goal, way back in Isaiah's day, part of the enemy's plan was to stop the birth of Jesus, to stop Christmas. So, with that thought in mind, let's go into Isaiah chapter 9. This is what we read in that first verse. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. That word, nevertheless, that responds to what has gone before. It responds to the darkness revealed by Isaiah in chapter 8. And it is now an introduction to the light and the hope that we find in chapter 9. You see, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, this is how he finished. Then, they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. We read there also 
in chapter 9. A reference to Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, these were areas by the Sea of Galilee, part of the land that was dis distributed amongst the tribes when they moved into the Promised Land. And these are, as I say, around the Sea of Galilee. And this area had been humbled by the invasion of the Syrians and then by the Assyrians. But Isaiah is pointing to a future a future when Galilee will be honoured. So we move to the New Testament and we see how Galilee was honoured. Matthew 4, 12 verse 25. And remember, this is after that first Christmas. He tells us that this is where Jesus started his public ministry. That passage is actually chapter 4, verse 12 through to 25 where Matthew tells us how Jesus started his public ministry and from where he called his first disciples, it was Galilee. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 to 2 is quoted by Matthew in those verses. And then John in his gospel, chapter 2 verse 1 to 11, he tells us that Jesus performed his first miracle in Galilee. So you see how Galilee is blessed here, blessed by the greatest blessing that there could ever be. Jesus, the Son of God, started his public ministry in Galilee. He called his first disciples from Galilee. He performed his first miracle in Galilee. Do you like little um, snacks at Christmas time? I know we all do. Well, how about, uh, here's a little uh, gospel sandwich. Um, we've got two New Testament references with the meat of the Old Testament in the middle. So sit down and enjoy this little gospel sandwich. It starts with John, goes to Isaiah, and then finishes with John. And the first bit is actually John's Christmas story. It's John 1, verse 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now the middle bit, Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now the other outer layer of our sandwich, John chapter 8 verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in those three verses, we have what I've just called a, a little biblical Christmas snack. And, you know, it's better than a mince pie. And it would also go down well with a cup of tea and a few thoughts. But back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 3 to 7. Now, some of the things that follow here would be fulfilled when the Assyrians would be defeated by... Uh, defeated, but Isaiah looks beyond this. And he also looks to the final victory when Jesus will return. Isaiah 9, verse 3. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. See, in the days of Isaiah, 
only a remnant would be preserved for the promise of a redeemer to be fulfilled. Isaiah's prophecy sees beyond this with hints of the final victory which will be fought by God. Hence the next words from Isaiah verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. This is speaking about the victory that God has. But why does he reference the days of Midian's defeat? Well, to find out, we need to go to Judges. We can read all about that in Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7. And this tells of Gideon defeating the Midianites. And the relevance of this is that God reduced Gideon's army down to 300 men. And the reason for him doing this is given to us in Judges chapter 7 verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. You see, this was to stop the Gideonites boasting that it was their victory. But it was God showing them that it was his victory. It was God who defeated the Midianites and God would bring about the final victory that Isaiah speaks about here. And this will be achieved by Jesus. You know, no man can claim to have victory over sin. Death will defeat us. Victory is all the work of Jesus. And the victory is secure. But there are still battles to fight. Hence that verse that I quoted from Paul earlier. Principalities and powers. Isaiah verse Five, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. These are graphic words. And this speaks of finality. The battle when the weapons of war are destroyed completely. And this will also be a battle won by God. And we read about that in Revelation. Isaiah then returns to the subject of Christmas, which for him and his generation was still to come. The birth of the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. Here Isaiah speaks of the humanity and the deity of Jesus. Back to chapter 9, Isaiah 9 verse 6. These are the well-known verses that we quote so often. I want us to see them within the context of what was happening in the days when they were written, what relevance they were to the people then, and what relevance they are to us today, and also for those who come after us. Verse 6 of chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This child, Jesus, the second Adam, a son, God's beloved son, 
the bearer of all authority. Wonderful, that is, beyond imagination. Counselor, part of that is him being our great high priest. Everlasting, this is eternity, everlasting father and also prince of peace. Isaiah moves on to the time after the last days when the completeness of the victory is celebrated. And this is in verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will be accomplished. We have a carol. Well, we have a lot of carols. I'm <laughs> just going to share one with you now. Just a few words. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. We're going to sing that over Christmas. Along with many other people. This is about who Jesus is. The bringer of peace and joy to the world. But not everyone hails him as king. But the day will come when they will. And then heaven and nature will sing that new song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praised and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The words we find in Revelation. You see, the first Christmas was not the start and it will not be the end. So, as we enjoy this Christmas, even with all its restrictions brought about by COVID-19, we can look forward to a time when we will be able to rejoice and sing with the heavenly hosts. As we finish this evening, I just want to refer to two names. Names are important. Two names to note, and this is from Isaiah chapter 7. This was a time of fear and uncertainty for God's people, and they needed a word of encouragement. Isaiah 7 verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. So Isaiah is being told by God to go out with his son, and to bring some encouragement to these people who are afraid of the enemy. Okay, here's one of the names. A name which is hard to pronounce. Shira Jashu. That's the name of Isaiah's son. And that name means a remnant will return. This was an encouragement that these people needed. They needed to look beyond their circumstances, look to the future, and for their future, God is telling them a remnant will return. 
Let's have another name from Isaiah chapter 7. This is verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is God's son. His name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And while he is with us now, and this is an encouragement for us, there's a greater encouragement for us in that name. Our encouragement is the fact that he will return. So for them, a remnant will return. And they did. And the promise was kept. And for us, he will return. And then we will have the full victory and the full rejoicing. But in the meantime, let us enjoy and rejoice in Christmas, the Saviour's birth. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the encouragement that you bring to us through your written word. We thank you for what we've looked at this evening. And we pray that we might have a greater understanding of the price of the gift of Christmas and also of the victory that that gift brought. Our Father, continue to bless us as a company of your people as we have gathered around your word and we've gathered in the name of Jesus. Amen.